Listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Hey, hey, what's going on? This is Stephen Michael. It's Sonny Pooney. How's it going? Welcome to another week of Growing Up Rock. Yeah, yeah. What kind of excitement did we have in this week leading up to this fine podcast recording, my friend Sonny? What's new with you? <laughs> Uh, nothing super new, you know, just, uh, podcast rock city is going well. Love, uh, Joe and Jody. So, uh, if you guys don't listen to podcast rock city, which is a kiss podcast, we have a great time there. And then, uh, I got to hang out with our friend, Steve Wright with the Potter than hell guys. And we talked a little kiss also. So, uh, that was kind of fun. Awesome. Yeah. I think that guy finally friended me. I'm not sure. (laughs) I got got a little messenger thing. So maybe, maybe he's my friend now. His son, Dylan, uh, friended me. He won't answer. He won't answer his messenger, but, but he did friend me. So if you guys are listening out there, holler at me. (laughs) Dylan's the backbone of that show, man. We need a Dylan. Yeah, we have a Dylan. His name is Steve. (laughs) (laughs) He does everything, damn it. Awesome. Now, I heard a rumor that you saw Sinzak's favorite band. Yeah, I did. I wasn't afraid to to, um, put in a little work uh, last week and uh, um, spend some time with uh, our friend uh, Chris Sinzak's favorite band, Nickelback. Wow, yeah. Wow. I, I've seen them before. They're, they're a little boring, right? They just didn't have a lot of energy, I didn't think. But maybe I saw them on an off night. Uh, I don't know. It was, a, it was a well-rehearsed show. It sounded really, really good. Um, listen, I'll say this. Uh, it was almost sold out. So it was roughly around, um, I don't know, about uh, 11,000, 12,000 people probably. Um, and on a Wednesday night, that's pretty good. Um, and... They love their Nickelback. I'll say that. Like, the fans were crazy. Uh, Chris Daltrey opened up, and then there was a third band on the bill called um, Shaman's Harvest. Um, and, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't a huge fan of that band. I didn't, didn't really like them all that much. They were, they were a little bit um, uh, kind of slow, bluesy, a little doomy feeling. I, I don't know. I just, it wasn't, wasn't my thing. Um, Daughtry was good. Um, that, that kid can sing, man. <laughs> say what you want. The American Idol thing, whatever that, that guy can sing. Um, and then Nickelback and, um, uh, you know, for me, it's just a little bit too clean for, for rock and roll. 
not that it's not rock and roll and and not that they don't have some songs that I like. I actually like a, a handful of their songs, but I don't I'm not a ballad guy. I don't like the slower stuff. Their stage set was all right. It looked pretty cool. They had a kind of like this whole computer bank thing because the name of the new album is Feed the Machine. So uh, it's sort of uh, this whole, you know, uh, new age uh, technology looking computer type set. I mean, it looked cool. What I didn't realize about Nickelback is that... um, the second guitar player in the band who also plays keyboards um, does a lot of the singing. Like Chad Kroger is the main singer and he sings everything, but the the um, second guitar player doubles him a lot and sings a lot of the harmonies and um, just has way bigger of a role um, vocally than, than I ever knew. Yeah, I saw that when I saw them live, too. I don't remember who opened for them when I saw them. I wish it was Daughtry, because I thought he should have won that year that uh, yeah, he was on American no Idol. doubt. But, uh, yeah, I saw the same thing, that they're, the, the doubling of the vocals. But there's there's doubling of the vocals on the recordings, too, though. So that's that's not abnormal for them, right? Right, yeah. I just didn't yeah. know that about them, that's all. Yeah. I mean, like I said, they're not a band. They're a band that I don't hate, um, and I have some of the records, but it's not a band that like is at the forefront of my catalog. You know what I mean? Um, so, you know, they've, they've sold 50, 50 million albums worldwide. I mean, they've sold a lot of records, um, considering that they, that they just came, you know, that they've only been together since 95. That's, that's a lot of records, you know, uh, yeah, I think they they get a rough rap because they're trying to classify themselves as rock and in some circles hard rock, but really some of their stuff is pop. So I, I would, think that's where they get a bad rap probably. I mean, I, listen, I would cl- classify them as a hard rock band. I mean, <laughs> they've got heavy guitars. They're certainly not a pop band. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're every bit is... is as heavy as a foreigner, uh, and I consider foreigner a uh, rock and roll, you know, borderline hard rock band. Uh, do are they heard on on AOR uh, rock radio? Absolutely, they are. So, um, yeah, that's fair. You know, that's fair. So, I mean, that's that's a fair assessment of of them. I wouldn't consider them anything other than rock and roll. I mean. To me, that's rock and roll. But, um, you know, like I said, the, the fans that love them, they, they love them. I mean, there were, you know, 12,000 people in, uh, on a Wednesday night singing every tune. And not just the ballads of the hits. They were singing like, you know, the deep album cuts that they were playing. The rock and roll stuff, too. So that was good. Yeah, and I think they're one of the intelligent bands. They don't over-tour. So I think sometimes what happens is some of these guys are out there constantly and you know you can only see the band so many times. Yeah, that's. I don't. I, I don't think Nickelback tours every year. Um, no, probably not. I mean, they're pretty consistent yeah. about putting out records, uh, but I don't. I don't think they tour every year. I don't know, but yeah, you know, hey, I got paid to be there, so it was all good for me. Uh, another another uh, rock and roll show under my belt, which I'm always okay with. 
So what are we what are we getting into today, Sonny? What 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 fine topic have we have we dug through the treasure troves of our uh, uh, existence to uncover uh, for the fine listeners this week on uh, Growing Up Rock? I love the title "Who's the New Guy" because it uh, most likely from the title, um, our audience probably couldn't figure out what it was right out of the gate. But we're going to talk about some of these replacement guys. So. You know, I think we all know that you can't just be in one band anymore. Um, and, you know, folks like Portnoy and and Aldrich and some of these guys that have lots and lots and lots of bands that they're in just trying to make a buck because they can't make a buck recording music really anymore. Um, but George Lynch, times, we're looking at you. Oh, yeah. Lynch, yeah. Um, a lot of the times when uh, some of our peer podcasters talk about replacement players, they really stick to the singers because, yeah. you know, let's, you know, most of the stuff I listen to is the singers that what attracted me most of the time. So I think that's common. But uh, we're going to actually talk about uh, a couple of singers, but we're going to talk about guitar players. We're going to talk about some drummers. Um, you you know, whether they came and played for an album or two or that's, whatever that's, it was. Sonny, see, that's growing up rock going one step beyond. Uh, I yeah, mean, we're not just go. we're not just sticking with singers. <laughs> we we said we said no, no, no. That doesn't that yes. that just ain't gonna work. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna dig into some guitar players and some drummers. I mean, come on, we we got great replacement players out there whether they're called hired guns or replacement players or hey who's the new guy i went to my job and some new guys they're doing it (laughs) (laughs) yeah and we even put a rule in that they had to in our opinion make the band better like you can't just pick anybody so for instance you know blaze bailey i'm sure he's a nice guy but he didn't make iron maiden better when he took over for Dickinson. Listen, kid, you got a great personality, but those albums you put out sucked ass. <laughs> yeah, they really <laughs> you didn't did. make our so list. So that we had to bring the other guy back. <laughs> You're just not going to make the cut, my friend. <laughs> Go back to, what was it, Leatherwolf? Uh, yeah, I think so. What was his original band? Th- was it was it Leatherwolf? I don't know a lot about that guy. I don't either. I don't know a ton yeah. about it. I didn't listen to Maiden in that period of time either. I'll be honest. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk about you know whether you call them hired guns, replacement players, whatever you want to call them. That's uh, kind of what we're going to talk about today. That's awesome. I can't wait to get into that because we got some pretty good ones. We got some newer guys. We got some older guys, and uh, that's that's going to be a fun conversation. Uh, but hey, before we get into that, it's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. All right. So for our Crank It Up Spotlight, um, we are going to talk about the new release from the Winery Dogs. So I, um, I'm i not sure if I mentioned it before, but I'm a guy that if I am a hardcore fan of a band, I will buy, first of all, physical product. But if they have a pledge music thing going on, I'll buy that kind of stuff too. So these guys had a pledge music thing going on, and they released a special edition uh, live DVD CDs called The Dog Ears. And uh, it's uh, recorded live in Santiago, Chile. And in this special edition, you get a Blu-ray DVD of the concert, you get a DVD that has seven videos, the seven videos from the two albums. 
You get a bonus EP, which I'm going to talk about in a second, and you get two CDs that have the the DVD uh, audio on it. And it's all in one little cool little package. Um, pretty cool that they do stuff like this. I love owning stuff like this. Um, and, and when we talk about hardcore fan of the band, we talk about um, your um, uncomfortable obsession with um, the winery dogs, uh, Richie Cotson. Yeah, that's uh, so, you know, now we've done a few episodes and no matter really what podcast I might be jumping on or off of or whatever, better get used to either me talking about Richie Cotson or Jeff Scott Soto. I'm probably a stalker of both. Yeah. Um, But anyway, let's talk about the EP for a second. So the EP has five songs and uh, kind of a cool mix. One of the songs is Moon Age Daydream, which is the Bowie cover. They do it pretty well. Uh, Love is Alive, which is a Gary Wright cover. Um, and I think that's a mid 70s song, right? Yes, it is. And it's a, it's a good song. That's a great song, actually. Yeah, they do a good job of that. There's a song called Solid Ground, which was only available on the Hot Streak, their second album, Deluxe Edition. Uh, they put it on the CP. Then there's a song called Criminal, which was only available as a live cut off the first live album, which was a special edition that you could only get, you know, kind of separate from the original CD. And then they did a new song called uh, The Game. And uh, that's what we're going to spin now. Cotson feel, um, just straight up bluesy and uh, groove oriented winery dog stuff. Uh, sounds right in the same vein. Yeah, yeah, and I like it that kind of, and I think it's a little bit of the winery dog's chemistry is the verses are a little more angry and the chorus is more melodic and easygoing. So, um, you know, that way all three guys can sing and, you know, they kind of do a harmony, et cetera, et cetera. But the Verses always kind of come out a little dirtier and angrier, which I uh, kind of like the mix. So Now, you know two-thirds of the winery dogs are in the new band, right? Man, I can't wait for that band to come out. Sons of Apollo, and of course, they have Jeff Scott Soto. Yeah, and that's a cool— <laughs> You just wanted me to talk about Jeff. That's what that was. That's a cool name, man. I like that name uh, for a band. It's kind of cool, Sons of Apollo. It's a little bit big, but it's kind of a cool name for a band. But I don't, I don't know that this band is going to be— um, 
up my alley just because I think it's going to be a little bit prog rocky maybe um, a little bit too um, instrumental and and lengthy uh, I was never a big dream theater fan um, so uh, I'm afraid that it's going to be kind of in that in that reign yeah everything I've heard so far is kind of dream, dream theater plus TSO it's a little bit there yeah so it's uh, almost this uh, operatic mm-hmm. operatic Prague, yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, I can I can appreciate it as players yeah. and musicians. I appreciate that stuff, but as as a um, just a music fan um, that wants to listen and get into a song, it's it's not really my my thing. Yeah, yeah, and then the the last thing about the Winery Dogs thing, uh, the live part of the album, um, man, is it mixed well? Like it sounds like you can hear the drums thumping you can hear the bass nice and loud it's the whole guitar plus the vocals nice and full you can hear the backing vocals clear like whoever was mix you know recording it on a mixing board i mean they did a good job awesome yeah so there we go very 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 cool that's what i'm talking about well, that's going to do it for Crank It Up Spotlight on some new music. So let's get into our topic for the week. Uh, and if you don't mind, I am going to take the lead on this one. That cool? Go for it, sir. Go for it. Sweet. So, I mean, listen, there's a lot of obvious replacement players that we can talk about or hired guns or guys that took over. Uh, I mean, obviously the Sammy Hagars, et cetera, et cetera. And we're going to cover maybe one or two of those guys, but uh, we've also got a, a little bit deeper um, into our research and, and picking out some folks. Uh, and hopefully we've got some guys that maybe you haven't thought of off the top of your heads, but you'll definitely know the names. Now, the first guy that I'm going to talk about, he isn't one of those guys. He's one of the guys that everybody's going to know. Um, and the reason that I put him on my list and I want to kick off this episode and talk about him is because um, I really didn't know about this individual a whole lot um, until he uh, got in this uh, band and took over for a very well-known singer. Um, and the first person that we're going to talk about Um, His name is Ronald James, um, and you probably know him much better as Ronnie James. And we're talking, of course, about Mr. Dio. Dio took over for Ozzy in 79. He joined Sabbath in 79. And I like the Ozzy era of Black Sabbath. It's, It's good. But I have to be honest, I like the Dio version of Black Sabbath a whole hell of a lot more than I like the Ozzy Sabbath. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think there's going to be some disagreements in all this whole episode probably. Uh, I discovered, I kind of came into Dio at Dream Evil. So now we're talking 87. Yep. And so then I went backwards, loved Sacred Heart. Love Last in Line, liked Mob Rules, but then I came into Ozzy at about 86, mm-hmm. Ultimate Sin, and as I went backwards, 
I really like Ozzy Sabbath better than I like Dio Sabbath. Hey, and I like Dio Rainbow better than I like Dio Sabbath. And there's and there's nothing wrong with that because it, my my personal take is it's all all amazing music. It's just what you prefer, and I'm going to tell you why I prefer the Sabbath uh, version of of um, uh, or the Dio version of Sabbath more than the Ozzy. Um, and it's going to come down to basically sound, I think. Um, so for me, um, the Dio version of Sabbath, the uh, Heaven and Hell record and the Mob Rules record, they were just so freaking rocking. Sounded good, just he uh, hard rock, heavy metal, straight up. Um, whereas the Ozzy... Uh, version of Sabbath, you were going to get a little bit stoner type music. There were some straight up rock and roll tunes, but there was also some darker stuff, some slower stuff. There was, you know, they kind of touched on all the gambits. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And even the Aussie Sabbath, when I say that I prefer it, like after Master Reality, it gets real. It gets really tough for me to listen to, honestly. Yeah, the, even the Aussie stuff. So, but I get what you're saying. It's that it's almost like sludgy. It's like that doom yeah. metal. Well, and you know what's funny yeah. is is um, what really got me into Sabbath, the Aussie version of Sabbath was Aussie's Speak of the Devil record, the live Speak of the Devil record where he went and did a bunch of Sabbath, uh, and I had never heard um, like. Um, Children of the Grave, Symptoms of the Universe, and all that stuff until I, I heard the Speak of the Devil record. And then I went back and discovered the Black Sabbath versions of some of that stuff. And after hearing it live and hearing Brad Gillis shred those songs, some of the studio versions just didn't hold up like like the live Aussie stuff, man. You know what I mean? Like it was really rock and roll. If you've ever done that comparison, it's kind of, I mean, that's that's where I'm coming from uh, growing up as a teenager. That's kind of how, how I ended up um, with earlier Sabbath was through the gateway of Aussie and Speak of the Devil. Yeah, I totally get what you're saying. And, you know, as we're talking about it out loud, I'm like, okay, I like all the Dio solo stuff. I like Rainbow. I like all the Ozzy solo stuff. Maybe my problem is Iomi, because I'm just not a huge Black Sabbath fan, I think, is what it is. Uh, you know, it, it could be. I, I actually got into Dio through his solo stuff before the Sabbath stuff. So I listened, I listened to Ozzy's Speak of the Devil and went back and discovered the old Sabbath. I'd already um, knew about Dio. Um, I mean, I knew he was in Rainbow. I knew he was in Sabbath, but I didn't know a whole lot about the, the music um, and got into Dio hugely on that first Dio record, on the Holy Diver record. And then, I, I mean, I was a huge fan from Holy Diver. I picked that up, and I was like, oh, hell yes, man. This is right down my alley. Holy Diver, Last in Line, Sacred Heart, uh, Dream Evil, all that stuff. Um, so, you know, roundabout probably that first Dio um, solo record, um, I went in and started listening to Mob Rules and um, uh, Heaven and Hell. Um, and so for me, just, I mean... Those two records 
for me are about as classic as it gets. And I know that he went back and he reunited with those guys in 92 and they did the Dehumanizer record. But Dehumanizer record to me had some good stuff on it, but overall just wasn't a great sounding record. Didn't have, I mean, it didn't live up to the mob rules and, and heaven and hell. Um, and you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, so here's a little tidbit of information. So Ronnie James Dio ended up getting the Sabbath gig when he ran into Tony Iommi of all places at the rainbow, uh, on sunset, the rainbow bar and grill there, uh, in Los Angeles on sunset. So I thought it was kind of interesting, right? Because he, he ended up quitting rainbow and coming out of the band rainbow. He meets Tony Iommi at the rainbow bar and grill within like less than a year and he's in Sabbath (laughs) in 79. So just kind of ironic, kind of funny. Uh, so he's in Sabbath in, in, in 79 and, um, they release heaven and hell in 1980 and the mob rules in 82. Um, and you know, I just, I love those records and, uh, you know, all I have to do is play this first track, which is the first song that you are going to hear uh, Dio doing um, as a member of Black Sabbath. And so uh, the track I've selected is Neon Nights. dead on that that song is up tempo god man that's cool right that that rips your head off man that is a freaking i love that song (laughs) but i could imagine like hardcore sabbath fans like that's not sabbath yeah of course not yeah you can't listen to that while you're stoned come on you end up hurting (laughs) yourself all right you're up buddy all right so we are gonna go um to actually one of my favorite bands, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Iron Maiden. And um, we're going to talk about the change from Clive Burr, who was the original drummer, to Nico Bryan, who um, ended up being, McBryan, sorry, that ended up being uh, the drummer. Well, he's actually the current drummer. So um, late 90, late 82, after basically doing three albums, 
um, Clive basically gets booted. Now, depending on who you believe, Clive said he was not a partier. Uh, Steve Harris, his I got two quotes here. His live performances were affected by his offstage activities, which I think that's a pretty cool quote. Spent most of the gig throwing up into a bucket at the side of his kit. He could have just been nervous. Lots of people no. throw up on the side yeah. of the stage when they're performing. Yeah. Uh, Clive, and te- uh, technically to his dying day in 2013, said it was unfair that they let him go. And, you know, who knows what the real story is. In my opinion, Clive's drumming seemed more punk, right? And I think that had something to do with Deano too. Like the whole Deano to Dickinson change kind of changed Iron Maiden too. But Burr was not exactly the flashiest power rock drummer of all time. Now, he wasn't Maiden, and he knew what he was doing. The guy's no a slouch. But if you listen to, like, Clive doing Run to the Hills versus Nico doing the song that we're going to spin, there is a significant difference in power. Right. Right? Talent's yeah. probably subjective, but it changed the way – um, Iron Maiden started to sound because they started to sound big. Right. Now, one thing that I do have an axe to grind with Martin Birch, the producer, is, man, that guy does not know how to record drums. Because if it was Michael James Jackson doing Peace of Mind, the drums would have sounded huge like Creatures of the Night. But you could have made Nico sound so much bigger. Um, but, you know, that that is kind of what it is. But... Uh, uh, what do you think about Maiden at all? Oh, I know you like Maiden. Are you a Deanna or a Dickinson guy? No, I, well, so here's, here's the interesting thing about Maiden. I love Maiden, first of all, um, especially early Maiden. So I came into Maiden, uh, on the Killers record, which was Deanna. Yeah. And I wore that record out. I loved it. Loved everything about it. And uh, then I got Number of the Beast, uh, and Deano's out, and Dickerson's in, and um, I loved it as well. Um, I was a little bit kind of, I mean, we talked about the whole growing up in the Bible built, so I was a little bit weird about the whole 666 thing, <laughs> you know, until I started figuring out, hey, it's just entertainment, it's not real, be, be cool, be cool. So, the Bible Belt had a problem with 777 Striper, too. The Bible Belt dude, has got problems. Yeah, well, <laughs> you're telling somebody that grew up in it, I get it. <laughs> but, but um, so, yeah, I mean, I like I like both versions. I do like the Diano version for what it is. Um, but I also like um, the um, the Dickerson version and, and this this song you're gonna spin um, might be off of uh, what could possibly be my favorite maiden record. I'm not hundred percent sure I kind of go back and forth between um, uh, this one and um, uh, power slave, but I love peace of mind. so uh, this is a fantastic record. Yeah, so the song, let, let me tell you about the music, musical chairs a little bit before we spin the song. So okay. Bruce leaves Samson to join Maiden. Yep. As Bruce is leaving Samson to join Maiden, um, Clive left Samson. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. No, wait. Let me back up here. 
Because uh, I, I got, oh wait, Clive left Samson to join Maiden as Bruce was coming into Samson. Really? Clive okay, was in yeah. Samson? Clive was in Samson, leaves that. to join Maiden. He leaves, Bruce comes into Maiden, or to Samson to sing. Nico leaves Trust to join Maiden to replace Clive. Clive goes to Trust to replace Nico. God damn, that shit's confusing. That's why I got confused. <laughs> that shit's all kinds of confusing. Yeah. Sam, have you ever so, heard Samson? I have. It's uh, it's a little more punk too. I think anything that uh, it just I guess it's more raw to me. Raw always kind of equals a little more punk. Uh, um, but it's definitely a little more raw. It's not as polished as Maidenness. Yeah, it's not my not my thing. I tried to listen to it a couple times. I didn't really like it that much. Yeah. So, so the song we're gonna spin is the first song off the first album that Nico was on. And the amazing part about it is it, it kind of starts out with a real quick drum part, and you could tell right out of the gate that it's almost as if Maiden wanna tell the, uh, wanted to tell the world, we have a new drummer and he deserves to be here. So we are going to spin Where Eagles Dare. I love that song. <laughs> I love that record. I love that song. Yeah, Nico was, uh, I think it was on Eddie Trunk's show. He was getting interviewed, and he's like, man, when they say play Where Eagles Dare, it's a lot easier when it's later in the set because I got to get warmed up to play that thing. But if, if uh, for the audience, if you haven't heard Where Eagles Dare in a while, try to listen to it by just hearing the drum parts, and you'll be astonished in what the guy's doing to try to keep up and accent the song. It's amazing. There you go. That's good stuff, man. So I'm going to take liberty um, and exercise um, my option to do two in a row um, because they're sort of in a roundabout way related. Um, so bear with me here. Um, the first one up... Um, we are going to talk about um, a band that, that I've liked um, ever since the first record back in the early 80s came out, uh, and this band is Night Ranger. Always been a fan of Night Ranger. Um, 
Night Ranger, of course, is a band from from your neck of the woods. Are you uh, you you like this band at all? Oh God, major fan! You can't you can't live in San Francisco and not be a Night Ranger fan. That's just like not being a Y&T fan. Oh, there you go. I figure they might be up your alley. So yeah, oh, I yeah. mean the whole Sister Christian thing, and good for them. It got them on the map. But there's so much, so much, so much more uh, rock and roll that this band has uh, available out there that's just worth um, listening to. I mean, they're just a good rock and roll band. Um, and of course they've always hinged themselves on being a dual guitar attack, uh, from the get go, Brad Gillis, uh, who we talked about a little earlier, who was in, uh, Ozzy's band, um, who got the offer to be part of Ozzy's band permanently and gave that up because his band Night Ranger back in San Francisco had a deal and they were on the verge of putting out a record, so he left Ozzy's band. So they've always been a band that's uh, been built on two awesome guitar players, uh, Brad Gillis being one and Jeff Watson being the other. And, of course, Jeff Watson was um, got some notoriety because he had this uh, eight-finger um, technique um, that he used um, in and out of some of the songs, uh, most notably on um, Rock in America, right? Um, and uh, quite quite a player. I mean, Jeff Watson was an incredible lead player as well. Yeah, I've always been a fan of the dual guitar attack. And uh, I'll tell you, both those guys, Gillis and Watson, never got enough credit for being great guitar players. No, and they they really were uh, fantastic guitar players. I mean, I think a lot was made about Gillis's whammy bar technique, and and um, uh, for whatever reason, was just kind of uh, people kind of turned that off um, as just kind of a gimmick or whatever. But some of that stuff he did was uh, pretty incredible. Um, uh, if you listen to some of those records, uh, and, and it, when he's just straight up playing, I mean, he's a fantastic player when he's just playing and he's not using any of the whammy bar stuff or any of that kind of stuff. So been a big night Ranger fan since the beginning, I've always liked night Ranger and, you know, they had the success in the, in the eighties and, um, and then like everything else, music kind of takes a break in, in the nineties. Uh, um, and they, they have a few people come in and out of the band. Jeff Watson leaves and, uh, Gillis has been the one guy that's kind of been there throughout. Um, even Jack blades, uh, kind of came and went, uh, once or twice, but, uh, Brad Gillis has been there throughout and Jeff Watson left. Um, and they get the band back together in, um, 2008, they put out this record hole in the sun, Hole in the Sun wasn't a great record, in my opinion. It was uh, definitely a disappointment um, as far as um, uh, just having the whole band back together. Uh, it really didn't do that much for me. I mean, it had some material on there that was okay, but um, overall, it wasn't a great record. Uh, Night Ranger fires Jeff Watson. Um, and I don't know what it was about or what what went on but uh he gets fired basically right before hole in in the sun comes out um and i think it was right before a tour was about to happen so they needed to go get a replacement guy and they ended up getting um red beach from winger 
to come in and kind of um, just fill the gap for, for a short period of time. Um, and so uh, Red Beach comes in, um, fills that gap until they can find a permanent replacement. Um, and Reb at the time, I think he's doing winger and he's doing uh, white snake. So he's got his hands full. He can't become a full-time member of, of Night Ranger. Uh, so they go out and they find uh, Joel Holkstra. Uh, so Joel is just a really talented player, right? He plays in TSO. Um, he plays, uh, he played for a while on Broadway in the Rock of Ages, uh, Broadway presentation. He's just a, he's a good all around rock guitar player. Um, and so they bring Hulkstra into the band, um, to do this tour in 2008 um, and he ends up being uh, a permanent member uh, of Night Ranger. And so in 2011, um, Night Ranger releases the first record with Hulkstra on it come, called um, uh, Somewhere in California. Um, and it was literally a return to form for me uh, for Night Ranger. The record's fantastic. If you haven't heard it, I encourage you to go out and check out that record. Um, but it didn't just end with that. So um, they put out somewhere in California. They tore that nice and heavily um, for a few years. And then in 2014, uh, they release a record called High Road, which in my opinion is every bit as good as somewhere in California. So two back-to-back -back really, really good solid Night Ranger records, courtesy of Night Ranger, but also courtesy of their new guitar player, well, not, not so new anymore, guitar player Joel Holkstra. Uh, and so after High Road comes out, um, then um, Holkstra decides to um, uh, leave the band um, and he leaves the band to go to Whitesnake. Um, and probably just, it's a money thing, probably just came down to better money, right? Whitesnake, probably a little bit bigger band, um, a little bit more worldwide, probably huge over in um, the UK. Um, and they do okay here in the States as well. So it was probably just a money thing. But um, we're going to talk a little bit more about that after I play this first song off to somewhere in California with Joel Hoekstra. This is called St. Bartholomew.
it seems like he made them immediately heavier. Right? Like, that song's heavier for Night Ranger, which is cool. I like it. Yeah, I mean, it's back to the guitars, right? It starts off with the guitar intro yeah. and him and Gillis doing some back-and-forth stuff. And um, it's it's just, it. the record's solid. The song is solid. I really, really liked what Joel Holkstra did to that band. Um, and there's a DVD out that's kind of cool, which is... Um, uh, I think it's called 24 Strings and a Drummer, uh, which they go and they do like a um, small acoustic set um, in Chicago uh, and they break down a lot of the Night Ranger songs and just do them acoustically. And it's a, it's a cool little thing and the songs are good. You can buy, you can get the record or you can check out the DVD, but it's, it's cool. I mean, it, when you, I've always said you can tell a really good song when you break it down acoustically and just play it acoustically. If it has a really good melody line, it sounds good acoustically. Uh, then it's, it's just a good song. Uh, and a lot of the Night Ranger songs, uh, break down acoustically and sound really good. So yeah, and I've seen I've seen Night Ranger live many times. Joel had incredible chemistry with those guys, yep. and uh, big smile. Like if you see any YouTube videos, anytime you're looking at Hulkster, he's got a smile. Like he's that guy. And uh, I actually met him once. So awesome. they played at a uh, asparagus festival. They played like one of these festivals. Asparagus. And yeah, and I was there and uh, I wanted to get something. I wanted to get some signed stuff for the kids. So uh, they had these black and white pictures that uh, all five members signed, blah, blah, blah. Well, Hoekstra had his guitar and he was just kind of warming up on the steps of the stage, right? Cool. So he kind of saw me. I bought a couple of pictures. He comes down, uh, says hi. I said hi to him. And I said, well, will you, you know, write this to the Pooney kids, blah, blah. He goes, oh, yeah, sure. Your son plays bass. Oh, that's cool, blah, blah, blah. And he, just the nicest guy. Awesome. Yeah, he seems like a really nice guy in interviews and stuff. So, um, uh, you know, he just he made that band great. Um, and uh, Night Ranger never sounded better um, uh, on those two records. Um, so they're just returned to form with Somewhere in California and High Road. Loved both those records. Liked what Joel Holkster did for that band. So unfortunately, Joel got a better offer. Um, and in 2014, Joel leaves Night Ranger, as I said, to go to Whitesnake. And the guy that he's replacing is the guy that we're going to talk about next. Hence the fact that I'm doing two in a row. We're going to talk about Doug Aldridge. So Doug Aldridge. Doug Aldridge has been around the scene for a while. Uh, way back in the early 80s, I first Doug, Doug Aldridge first came on my radar back in the early 80s. Um, he had a, a Sunset Strip uh, big-haired hard rock metal band called Lion, uh, just L-I-O-N, Lion. Um, and that first record, Fatal Attraction, that was a good hard rock record. I mean, a little bit dated in its sound if you listen to it today, but still a solid hard rock record. Um, and, you know, I... Pfft, I would encourage anybody, if you can still find it, it's not in print anymore, I don't think, but uh, that first uh, line record, Fatal Attraction, uh, with Doug Aldridge on a pretty good record. So Doug goes on, and he does a bunch of stuff, and he, and he ends up, I mean, Doug played with House of Lords. He played with Dio for a short while. He ends up joining Whitesnake in 2003, 
um, when David Coverdale decides to put a band together to do a 25th anniversary tour. Um, and, and Whitesnake had not been doing a whole lot for several years. They had kind of been just kind of laying dormant, basically. They hadn't done anything. David Coverdale decides to get a band back together uh, for this 2003 25th anniversary tour, and they end up getting Doug Aldridge in the band. Well, Doug ends up sticking with David Coverdale for quite some time. I mean, he was there all the way up until 2014 uh, when he decided to leave uh, because um, Doug had um, opportunities in other places. Um, He's now with the Dead Daisies. Um, and so he's doing great, great stuff with the Dead Daisies now. Um, but he did fantastic stuff for White Snake um, when White Snake hadn't put out anything in so long that was really credible. Uh, Doug comes in and they do two records. They do, um, they do some live stuff too, but I won't count that. Um, he comes in. He does uh, "Good to Be Bad," which was the first record. Uh, that he recorded on for White Snake, and then they follow that up um, with Forevermore. And in my opinion, both those records are pretty solid. What do you What do you think, Sonny? Uh Doug Aldrich. I am a huge fan. I've got Lion, Bad Rune Rising, Burning Rain, Dio, Dead Daisies, Revolution. Say, I've got everything he's done. That's right. I love that guy. Um. I my brother and I went to go see them live open for Scorpions and seeing Reb Beach and Doug Aldrich up there doing these White Snake classics. Wow. Yeah. Like it was amazing. Crazy tandem, right? Both of yeah. those guys. Wow. And now yeah. and now it's Reb Beach and Joel Hoekstra, which which is even better, I think. Yeah, I think it's just as good. I don't know if it's any better, but it's no worse. You can bet your ass on that. I mean, Red Beach is, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but Red Beach is such an underrated player. It's ridiculous. Yeah, no, Doug is, Doug and Reb were a great pair. I can't wait to see Hoekstra and Reb together. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, so the first thing you hear from Doug uh, with Whitesnake is um, the Good to Be Bad record, and we are going to play the title track off of that record, Good to Be Bad. Yeah. 
everything there. That song rocks, and I love it's heavy. So good. Yeah. Just uh, Doug has that weird, he's got the blues, but then it's like a heavy rock blues sound. It's sort of like uh, heavier than Sykes was. Like there's some crunch to it. I don't know. Maybe it's the guitar tone. Yeah, it's a little, he's a little bit rawer than Sykes, I think. Uh, yeah, it's it's good stuff, man. Definitely good stuff. So that's it for me, man. That's a, a double shot from me. All right. So since you took a double shot, I'm going to take a double shot. So my two don't have anything to do with each other, but my second one has something to do with what we just talked about. So let's talk about the first one. So our friend Ace Fraley. So leaves Kiss. He decides to go out on his own. Uh, there's several years before he makes an appearance and he makes an appearance with Fraley's Comet and he decides to add a second guitar player. Um, I think partially to fill out the sound, partially because the second Todd uh, guitar player, Todd Holworth, was also a keyboardist and it just kind of filled out the sound for that late 80s, mid 80s sound that, uh, that Ace was looking for. Not only that, but Todd can sing. Like the guy is a bona fide singer, not a guitar player turned singer like Ace is. Um, I will tell you, I really liked the first two uh, Fraley Comet albums. Uh, vocally, Todd's so much different. And um, the chops on songs like Breakout uh, or Time Ain't Running Out or It's Over Now off those first two albums where Todd sang those are actually my most favorite songs out of those, even though it's an ace album. And uh, I just love Todd's voice. Right. But, you know, ace is the life of the party. And uh, I've been there myself at times. So it's all about got ace. to a point. Yeah. <laughs> got to a point where, you know, Todd kind of uh, got a little bit tired of the party scene. And the second Fraley's Comet album honestly didn't do that well, although I didn't think it was that bad, but it just didn't do that well. So Todd leaves, and Ace decides to drop the name Fraley's Comet and go get somebody else, and he finds this guy, Richie Scarlett. Now, Richie Scarlett is good news and bad news. Good news is we no longer got to worry about keyboards. It is straight ahead, gritty rock. Um, that he brings. It's, it's all New York, and it's got an attitude, and his guitar playing is is not as, you know, I sometimes call it a sloppy because he's kind of a feel player, but Richie's a little cleaner, but he's still got a lot of feel to his playing. So that's the good news. The bad news is Richie's a partier too. <laughs> <laughs> so now you got two bad boys, and I think we all know that some of these guys, and even me, you know, Depending on how much I was partying, you know, there was a great part of me. It just turned into a bad part of me later on because I kept drinking. They had this chemistry that created uh, a really, really great album called Trouble Walking. And in my opinion, that album is the second best Ace album ever uh, behind his 78 solo album. Um, Richie sang some songs on there. Uh, I think... Todd kind of at some points probably made Ace feel a little weird, kind of like that whole Derek St. Holmes, Ted Nugent thing that Nugent's really the guy and why is this guy singing and taking some of my limelight kind of thing? 
where Richie really wasn't interested in any of that. He just wanted to be part of a band and do great rock music. So I think it fit well. And, you know, he got a drinking buddy on top of that. Um, what do you think about Trouble Walking and Ace Solo and all that kind of stuff? Well, Richie Scarlett hanging out with Ace is kind of like Keith Richards hanging out with Ace. <laughs> I mean, if you've ever seen the pair of them, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's interesting. But um, so, so my question to you was, because it's been a long time since I've heard uh, Trouble Walking, um, yeah. And I'm not a, I'm not really familiar with um, Ace's solo uh, 78 record. Um, oh, really? So, wow. Yeah, you know, I just never got into the Kiss solo records, none of them. Um, the Kiss solo records wasn't my thing. I was more about the band um, so far as the solo records, like... Um, so I just, you know, I knew New York groove and, and maybe, uh, um, uh, one or two other tunes off that, but I wasn't deep into the, um, ACE solo record. So my question to you is trouble rocking is a, is a much harder, you know, it's a harder rock record than, than his 78 solo, right? Right. It yeah. is. So, so, so trouble walking, I think is something that I prop, I probably prefer a little more. Um, it's a a little bit more up my alley than, than would be his 78, uh, solo record. So, um, it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. And Richie, uh, the song we're going to spin, Richie actually sings. So he does a lead vocal on just one of these songs and he shares a lead vocal on another song. Um, but the song that we're going to spin is called Too Young to Die. Yeah, all right, cool. Straight up rock and roll. That's uh, yeah, I remember that tune. Uh, like I yeah, said, it's yeah. been a while, but yeah. The mistake good. they made on this album, which I thought they made the same mistake on the '78 solo album, my opinion is, you don't need covers, yeah. right? So 
why release New York Groove when you could have released Speeding Back to My Baby or Rip It Out? Here, they released Do Ya, that Jeff Lynn song, and I'm like, why? He j- Because like, he loves covers. I mean, he just yeah, put out just a record don't... of covers. Yeah. He he has covers on every record that he puts out, just about. He loves covers. Yeah. It's, 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 um, so I, I have, I, I have two train two trains of thoughts. It's it's fine if you love covers, but I also think it's a little bit lazy. Personally, that makes the lazy part makes more sense to me. And and you know <laughs> you know you know who else does that a lot? Which I have to admit, at least they make them their own, and they're and they're always a little bit different. But Van Halen likes to put cover songs oh, on their records yeah. too. Yeah, but again, at least they kind of make them their own, right? They usually don't yeah. sound anything like the original. Yeah, that's true. All right, so the second part of my double shot, we're actually going to go back to White Snake, and we're actually going to go farther back in White Snake history. So, um, John Sykes records, uh, slide it in, and then records the '87 album. Which is huge. Which was their biggest album, yep. right? I think 13 million copies or some crazy number like that. Yep. He gets fired before the album gets released. And, uh, you know, all kinds of rumors about, you know, who wrote the album, how he was fired, blah, 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 who wrote the songs, you know, all that. And then technically he gets replaced by Vivian Campbell. But Vivian Campbell's in the videos. He's on tour, yep. all of that. But he actually, Vivian never actually makes it to the next album. Well, he ends he, up in Def Leppard instead, and he kind of he kind of um, uh, he kind of gets replaced by by Vivian and Adrian Vandenberg, right? Yeah, yeah, because I think um, think Coverdale figured out that he probably needed two guitar players because if he was going to be as heavy and full and have the flexibility that he wanted, yeah, uh, and he he always had two guitar players before too. Um, before Sykes, so it was just kind of odd that with Sykes he didn't. I saw that tour; it was great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we get to the next album uh, after '87, which is called "Slip of the Tongue." It's released in '89, and Adrian Vanderberg and um, and David Coverdale's written the whole album, and everything's good. Vivian is out because he's like musical differences. I don't want to play this stuff anymore. I want to do something else. Some say Vivian wanted to get heavier, but he ended up in Def Leppard and ended up actually becoming a little lighter. So I don't exactly. Well, know I'll, te- how that I'll tell you what, you missed a couple steps because um, he didn't. He didn't even end up in Def Leppard. That wasn't till later on. Oh, um, really? Yeah. So Vivian, Vivian left to do. Um, he did. He did Shadow Kings with Lou Graham first, oh, right. which was lighter, and then River Dogs. Um, so he did both Shadow Kings and River Dogs in between White Snake and Death Leopard. Um, now, so. I just thought of something else too. I I heard a interview with him that said he left Shadow King because of musical differences, right. and that they ended River Dogs because of musical differences. So so here's my br- <laughs> here's here's one of my brush my brushes with greatness which you'll you'll hear in many episodes over because um as as i've as i've told you before i'm a former tour manager and i've met a lot of people along the way and ended up in different places so um i was working at a music store and i was really good friends with the randall amp 
rep at the time. Um, and the Randall Amp rep, um, Vivian was playing Randall Amps at the time. And so Vivian was in town and Vivian was doing a clinic in Atlanta. And then he was going to, um, I want to say Montgomery, um, which was just a hop, skip and a jump away from Atlanta, not very far, um, across the line to Alabama. So, um, the Randall rep asked me if I wanted to ride along with him and Vivian, that he was just going to take Vivian over to um, Alabama in in a minivan, you know, and I was welcome to come along and, and ride along. And it was Vivian and it was the drummer from, um, I, I want to say the drummer of the River Dogs at the time. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure he was the drummer of the River Dogs at the time. Um, so I rode in a van, um, uh, on it for a couple hours over to Alabama and just got to hang out and kind of talk with those guys. And, and Vivian would tell all kinds of stories about white snake and, and the different arenas that they had played. And, um, you know, he had all kinds of white snake stories and things like that. Um, and he just, he wasn't into hard rock and metal, um, and for a long time, I mean, he kind of stuck his nose up at the D.O. stuff that they had done and um, just wasn't into that stuff anymore. He wanted to play something that he felt was a little more challenging and a little bit differently structured. And um, and that was I mean, that was basically basically it. That was his his spiel um, on this uh, ride to Alabama that I that I took with those guys. Well, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I've, obviously, I've never met him, but I'm sure he's a nice guy. Yeah, I mean, um, he was fine. He was, you know, nothing wrong with him. He was a nice guy. Yeah. So he leaves Vandenberg and, and Coverdale right in the album, and Vandenberg suffers a wrist injury. And they must have been on some kind of clock because Coverdale is basically still got to record this album. So he hears about a guy that he has never heard play, supposedly, which I'm having still a hard time believing, but enter Steve Vai. So how do you not hear Steve Vai play? Yeah. Because at this time, at this point, he's already been in David Lee Ross band. Yeah. So according to Coverdale, he didn't know anything about Vi being in Roth. He hadn't heard anything that Vi did in Zappa or Alcatraz, but instead saw him in the movie Crossroads and was impressed by his guitar playing. Okay. What I'm is, like the Ralph Macchio movie when Vi <laughs> played the devil at the end. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, right? I thought it was awesome too, but I'm not sure I would hire a guitar player to come in my band that just sold 13 million records. Right? But okay. You know, I, you know, back here now, we're not at the internet age, right? We're talking 1988 here, True. 89. And so when I heard in Metal Edge, that Steve Vai was in Whitesnake, I was so excited, unbelievably excited, because I love the Eat em and Smile album, and I actually like Skyscraper, too. Um, so I was like, oh, man, I cannot wait till these guys get together. Now, in most Whitesnake circles, people don't like this album because what ended up happening is they went from this really blues, Whitesnake bluesy in the early 80s to a kind of more bluesy rock melodic rock, hard rock with Sykes to now this kind of noodly, um, 
you know, speed, you know, player, right? Um, but I'll tell you, and I, I was listening to a podcast by our buddy Mitch LaFon, and he was interviewing Vandenberg, and Vandenberg mentioned, so he writes all these riffs, Vi starts playing them and interpreted them completely different. Uh-huh. And Adrian's like, I can't record, and this guy isn't really playing them the way I got them in my head. But Coverdale loved it, so they just kind of went with it. I absolutely love this album. I like it better than 87. Okay. I know you don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> How could you tell? Was it my okays or was it my tenor yeah, voice? Exactly what what's, what's, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, okay. So I'm going to throw my four cents in because, yeah, I, I love Vi. Don't get me wrong. I'm a Vi fan. Went and saw him not too long ago, actually, on his little solo tour. Um, but Vi is a very unique player, and he in no way, shape, or form fits White Snake. Um, and I would say that without hearing the record. I would say that now that I've heard the record. It just, it's just. It's just different. It's not. It's not White Snake. It's not what White White Snake's meant to be. Um, Coverdale's voice doesn't go with it. I just listen. Did I like some of the songs on Slip of the Tongue? Yes, I did. Um, do I have that record? Nope. Don't have the record. Um, don't particularly love the record. I think there's some good stuff on it, but. The, I can find something redeemable on almost every record. Um, uh, so, you know, uh, yeah, I, I don't feel the same way that you feel about um, uh, Steve by joining Whitesnake, that is. Uh, so that's that's my four cents. <laughs> yeah, and I'm on the opposite spectrum. I wish it would have land, lasted longer, to be honest. Um the song we're going to spin is uh, not one of the hit singles because we don't do that here. Nope. We are actually going to spin a song called Wings of the Storm. All right. Get out your wings and let's fly on the storm. Here we go.
so normally we play snippets, right? Because, uh, you know, we, we know everybody that's listening doesn't have three hours to listen to us. And with the music, sometimes right. the episodes get long. But if you don't own this record, go to YouTube and fast forward to the two minute, 14 second mark and listen to the minute and 16 guitar solo. And you will, first of all, appreciate that Vi is awesome if you guys don't love Vi. But second, you'll you'll know that that ain't Vandenberg, and there was no way Vandenberg could have done, done that. I, I just appreciate I just appreciate the fact that Sonny tells you the exact <laughs> seconds that it happens. What the hell? All right, there you go. That's above and beyond from your host Sonny Pooney on when the hell you can tune into a song. Forget about everything else. Go to the two minute and fourteen second mark. Yep. Listen to the next minute and sixteen, then you can shut it off. There you go. All right. Goodness gracious. All right. <laughs> it's time to move on. Otherwise we're gonna be here all night and these people don't want to listen to us all night. All right, or, it's on you. All right, cool. So I'm gonna move on to a um um a very popular band. Um and maybe they're not considered hard rock. I don't know. I think they're a hard rock band. They're definitely a rock and roll band. Um, and definitely not a metal band, but hey, we're going to talk about Sticks. I love Sticks. I don't love everything they've done, but I like a lot of it. And I've been a Sticks fan for a long time. Uh, they were probably one of my gateway rock and roll bands back in the day. Um, and, you know, I prefer the, the guitar-driven Sticks. I mean, I'm not a, a big keyboardy kind of guy and sticks is full of keyboards so you have to kind of pick and choose what you like by sticks um but they've got some good solid music so we're going to talk about tommy roland shaw uh born in montgomery alabama right around the corner from me uh so tommy joined sticks in 75 uh replacing original guitar player john is it Kurolski? I think that's how you pronounce it. Kurolski. Never heard of this guy, but he was the original guy in Sticks, and they put out a couple of albums uh, with this original guitar player. And then he up and quits all of the sudden, uh, right before they're getting ready to do this tour. Tommy was playing in a, some sort of a funk band, and they had played. Um, up in the Chicago area and why he was playing in this club. Um, I guess he came on um, somebody's radar. So one way or another, the name got passed around and JY calls up Tommy to fly to Chicago to do audition. JY says, hey, got any songs? Tommy says, yep, been working on this song. Pretty good. Like to play it for you. Called Crystal Ball. Oh, Really? Well, bring that song with you. <laughs> so he goes up there, flies up to Chicago, brings Crystal Ball with him that he had just written on his mom's porch. Um, and uh, they they listen to that song. They make sure that he can sing the high harmonies to Lady because that was already a, a hit single that had come out on uh, the first or second record. 
Um, he he hits those high notes and the high harmonies in Lady, which if you've ever heard Tommy uh, talk about it, that's hard for him to do. That's way, way on up there. Uh, and I don't think they play Lady anymore. I don't think they play it live. I don't think they've played it since Dennis DeYoung left the band. But uh, So uh, Tommy comes into the band uh, brings that they give him um, they ask him to join the band and the first record that sticks releases with Tommy Shaw is in 76 uh, which is Crystal Ball um, and it included several um, several Tommy Shaw compositions on that record uh, three or four which the album only had like you know eight to ten songs on it back in those days uh, and so three or four of those songs were Tommy Shaw compositions uh, Crystal Ball being one of them. Um, and then they follow it up in 77 and 78 with uh, Grand Illusion and Pieces of Eight. I would say that Tommy Shaw definitely made that band better. In fact, I would go so far as to say that if Tommy Shaw doesn't join Styx, Styx is not the band they are today, without any shadow of a doubt, in my opinion. What do you think there, Sonny? I absolutely love Tommy Shaw. I think he's an underrated singer. I think he's an underrated songwriter. Sticks-wise, I like the guitar-driven sticks. I'm not a big of the fan of the musical yep. sticks, Same right? here. The, the musicals. Uh, although I like Mr. Roboto, and that's kind of probably in between both. Um, but I love, like, I have all his solo stuff, all his Damn Yankee stuff, all his Shaw and Blade stuff. The guy is unbelievable, in my opinion. Yep. And so the first song that we're going to play is off that very first record that Tommy Shaw recorded with Styx. Um, and it is a Tommy Shaw composition. And this is called Shoes.
I sometimes forget how old Styx is. Yeah, <laughs> man. I hadn't really heard that song, and then when I listened to it, I'm like, God, that that song's old. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's just the recording, 76. right? Yeah, yeah. I forget 76. how old. But it's a rocker, right? I yeah, mean, it is. It is good, solid rock tune, yeah. man. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, so I like, I like, I'm just like you. I like the guitar-driven sticks, and there's a lot of it to like. I mean, there's plenty of guitar-driven sticks out there, and and um, uh, I keep saying it, and we're gonna do it at some point. We're gonna do an episode on sticks because. Uh, I think there's a lot, a lot of good music, and like I said, they were one of my, one of my gateway bands uh, when I was a kid, growing up. I seen them a couple of times. I think I saw them. No, I was gonna say I saw them on the Paradise Theater tour, but I got into the band on Paradise Theater and ended up seeing them on on the Mr. Roboto tour, uh, Kilroy tour, which was, which was interesting. But that's a whole nother story. So there you go. <laughs> Up to you. All right. So we are going to go to one of my favorite bands, Mr. Big. So um, Mr. Big, the original four, Eric Martin, um, uh, Paul Gilbert, Sheehan, Pat Torpy, which they're back together. They're out there touring. Uh, We're together for a while, released several albums. And, you know, just like any other marriage if you can't get any time away from each other um they kind of got sick of each other there was all kinds of tension and in 96 mr big decides to disband gilbert goes and you know he had a he had a career before mr big with racer x so he goes and gets a solo uh career going and gets a solo deal well just a couple of months after they decide to disband, they're like, uh, no, 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 let's get together and do another album. And Paul Gilbert's like, uh, I'm already hooked up on this other thing, so I'm not going to be joining you guys. My personal opinion is he probably didn't want to deal with the drama, right? There's drama that created this issue. That drama did not go away in two months, right? That's that's my personal opinion. He's never said that as far as I know. Uh, but, you know, he went to go do some solo stuff, and some of his solo stuff is – it's quirky because it has his sense of humor in it, but it's really actually pretty good stuff. And uh, the guy actually sings pretty well, by the way. So they got to go get another guitar player. And uh, they go get a guy who already has 10 albums under his belt. And they need a guy that can keep up with somebody like Paul Gilbert because Paul Gilbert's no slouch. So they go get. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's see if yeah. the listeners can guess who they went and got. <laughs> Sonny, let's see. Everybody write in and tell us who did they get so that we know. Oh, I'm sorry. That, was, that, was that out loud on the mic? My bad. Yeah, Go ahead, That's Sonny. not nice. That's My not bad. nice. My bad. My bad. Please, please forgive so, me. So they went and got my man, Richie Cotton. Of course they did. And the difference with this band uh, compared to some of the other bands we've been talking to is – talking about is instead of getting heavier, they actually got bluesier and more funkier because that's kind of what Cotson brings. He's got yep. the speed chops. I don't think anybody has Paul Gilbert's speed chops. So by no means is uh, is uh, Paul easily replaced. But Cotson brought something different. And the other thing that he brought was he was willing to sing some of the leads. So they immediately started writing songs together that had Eric Martin and Richie Kotzen sharing lead vocals. How did that sit they, with Eric Martin? In his interviews, he said he loved it. Really? He encouraged it. 
Yeah. Huh. He encouraged it because I think he saw it as a pretty good compliment to his voice. And the the song that we're going to spin, there's a – especially when you get to the second verse or so, there's a couple of screams and stuff in there that Eric Martin just can't do, right? And Eric Martin's more of a – I would say a soulful yes. uh, singer where Richie's got some of that, but it's a little more rock edge to it, right? Yeah. So – uh, but together, they sound uh, really good. And actually, the first time I heard the song, it was hard for me right away to tell the difference between the two guys, right? So right. they they complement each other pretty well, and they're not too far off of each other. Um, so anyway, the song that we're going to spin is called Static. And what record's that off of? Get Over It. Get Over It. Static. Here you go. <laughs> here just like you said yeah it's got that kind of yeah blues a rock funk yeah it's uh, 1999 right um unfortunately mr big just like poison when richie joined poison kind of fell off the map and then mr big went back into hiding and now they're back with uh paul gilbert which is fine cotson's out there solo and doing winery dogs and all that kind of stuff so they all both both are doing well but uh i love that record i thought he just brought something different to Mr. Big that wasn't there before. So yeah. that's why I picked it. Cool. That and you love Richie Cotson. That and I love Richie Cotson. There you go. All right. Well, so now just so the fans know, we're going to put you on a um, no Richie Cotson on growing up rock for a month probation. Okay. So for one month, there's no Richie Cotson. No problem. All right, that's your punishment. <laughs> that way the fans won't get on you. All right, so that brings me to my final um, hired gun replacement and probably save this one for last because probably one of the bigger names and probably one of the most notable ones. Um, and I'm sure everybody knows this one. No, it's not Sammy Hagar. Um, we are going to talk about Neil Elwood Peart. Neil Peart, replacement player for Rush, um, comes in after the first Rush record, which a lot of people, a lot of people love that first Rush record. They feel like that's their favorite Rush record, um, and it is quite a good record. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, so, um, Neil is asked to come in and replace John Rutsey. Um, and if you haven't seen the documentary, you can go back and check out the documentary. The documentary is very good, but, um, 
he comes in um, and John Rutsey is just more of a straight ahead rock drummer. Um, and he doesn't, they say he didn't really like touring, but he also wasn't well and essentially said, hey, if they took him out on the road, he'd probably not make it back alive. Um, so they let part ways with John Rutsey. They bring in Neil Peart. Um, and Neil's first gig with the band is literally two weeks after they give him the job. Um, two weeks later, he's opening for Uriah Heep um, in front of 11,000 people on Russia's first U.S. tour. How crazy is that? You're in the band. You have two weeks to learn the material. And oh, by the way, the first gig you're playing live with us is in front of 11,000 people. Yeah, that's that's pretty nuts, <laughs> especially stuff that's not exactly easy to play. <laughs> but no pressure. <laughs> yeah, <I'm> kidding. <laughs> no pressure. So, you know, he comes in, the rest is history, obviously. But Neil's first record um, is in 1975. Um, the Fly By Night record is Neil's first uh, record with Rush. And uh, by golly, we're going to play the first track off that record. This is Anthem. I love that song, one of my favorite Rush songs, and uh, I think you can probably honestly say that um, in the long run and in terms of the body of work, he probably contributed and made Rush a better band. What do you think? So I think, you know, when people listen to podcasts, when I was listening and I wasn't doing any, I'm like, man, some of the people you listen to, they're like music historians, right? They know like everything. I'm just a normal fan. 
I didn't even know Neil Peart was a replacement player until two days ago. <laughs> no clue. Now, I'm not the biggest Rush fan in the world, so that's probably part of it, but I always thought this guy was there from the beginning. I think it's really cool he's the lyricist. I think that's really cool that the drummer's so involved like that. Um, Dude, have but, you not uh, seen that documentary? No, I, I'm just not the biggest Rush fan. Dude, even not. if you're not a Rush fan, go watch that documentary. Yeah. That documentary's awesome. Yeah, I should check it out. That is a good idea. But uh, no, I mean, I these guys, uh, musicianship-wise, I forget about it. I mean, these guys are the best. That isn't why I, I uh, really can't get into Rush. It's more about they're a little prog rock for me, and then it has to do with Getty Lee's voice. Like I can only, it's, I can only handle it in spurts. So I'm a very, very casual fan, but I had no idea he was a replacement player. Yeah, you should definitely, yeah, for sure. Go go watch that documentary because they talk about Kiss in that documentary. So there you go. That's enough reason for you to go check it out. And and, and uh, Gene Simmons is in there. Uh, they're interviewing Gene Simmons in that documentary. So there you go. Yeah. But yeah, but definitely you know, go check learn, that out. Right? Yeah, but he uh, learns. And... Yeah, man, that's all about learning. You tell me stuff yeah. about Richie Kotzen all the time. <laughs> Richie Cotton's <laughs> underwear color and nice, <laughs> nice. Um, all right, so my final one, and I saved uh, really my best for last two. So uh, we're going to talk about Ozzy. Um, Ozzy's had a ton of guitar players. He's had a ton of great guitar players, but uh, my favorite Ozzy record is actually from 1988, and it's the first Zach Wild record. So. After Bark and the Moon, Ultimate Sin, you know, Jakey Lee's been in the band five years now. And as the story goes, depending on who you believe, Sharon fired Jakey Lee via telegram. Now, for the younger listeners, that's similar to breaking up via text. That's what that means. Um, so for years, there's been all kinds of legal battles with, you know, Jake and Ozzy and Sharon about who got credit for what. What did he write? What didn't he write? Did he get paid right? Um, and that seems to be a problem here. It seems to be a problem a little bit with Dio. I think the lesson learned there is I think we both love our wives very, very much, but they probably shouldn't manage us at any point in time. Right? That's what my lesson learned is there. Um, so 88, uh, Ozzy gets a demo, demo tape from a friend of a friend, likes it. Now, for our younger audiences, a demo tape is like sending an MP3 uh, little tune via email. Kind of same thing, but it's actually like an actual tape that you had to hand to people. Um, immediately, Ozzy loves it and enters Zach Wilde into the band. And in my opinion, they immediately became heavier. So I love Jakey e. Lee's playing. I had no issues with Jakey e. Lee. Bark at the Moon. Some of those songs are outrageous and the riffs are classics. Zach brought a different riff, different feel. It felt deeper and it felt harder. Um, what do you think about Zach? I love Zach Wild. I mean, I he if nothing else, just to listen to him talk. I, I read I read his <laughs> book like Heavy Metal for the Children. I, love that book. I saw the book tour. 
dude, that cool. that dude is so hilarious. He he just he brings a smile to my face. He makes me laugh so hard. But um, yeah, the Zach of today definitely a much different Zach back in um, uh, the er, the late eighties when uh, he was on No Rest for the Wicked. I mean, look at the pictures of him side by side with Zach from that period of time and Zach today. It's like not even the same person. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, uh, and it was it was this album and Zach's playing because I hadn't heard Zach on anything else, right? That pinch harmonic that he does all the time. This was really the first album I'd ever heard that on, and it was it's such a cool little thing that he does a lot that I just love Zach. And most Ozzy folks, true fans, probably would say Randy Rhodes is their favorite guitarist, and they love those first couple albums. I would say my favorite Ozzy album is No Rest for the Wicked. Um, so we are actually going to spin a song from No Rest for the Wicked, and the song we're going to spin is called Devil's Daughter. I, I love that tune. I love this record. This record's great. In fact, Miracle Man is one of my ringtones on my phone. So uh, just, I mean, that's the first riff you hear from Zach Wilde, uh, you know, on record. And it's, it tears your head off. I, I, yeah. I don't, yeah. for some reason, some people don't like this record, which I don't get at all, man. I love this record. There's not a bad song on that record, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and I, you know, um, Zach got heavier and heavier and heavier. I love BLS. Like, I'm a yeah. ballad guy, and I love BLS. Yeah. I, I got a chance to see them, not you know, a few years back. I, I like uh, BLS as well. So, cool. Awesome. Well, now it's time for our favorite um, 
moment of the show. It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. All right. So for our historic moment, as we have done in past episodes, we try to keep it close to uh, the subject matter. And for placement players, Kiss knows a lot about. So um, we've done some conversations about Eric Singer and Tommy Thayer, so we're going to kind of stay away from those guys. Instead, we're going to talk about Eric Carr and Vinnie Vincent. So the first two real replacements in Kiss. And so Peter leaves, Eric Carr comes in, 1980. In my opinion, Eric seemed like he was embraced by the fans pretty well. And uh, I think Kiss did a good job of kind of putting Eric out there. Um, they marketed him well. Uh, he wasn't wearing the same makeup, which I think made it a lot easier. But Kiss also was kind of in a tailspin. So I'm not sure that, uh, you know, was it easily just embraced by the fans or they just had, they were struggling overall and you just didn't feel it. Ace leaves, that seemed to be a bigger hit for the fans. So, you know, Kiss tried out tons of guitarists. All kinds of rumors ranging from Robin Ford to Eddie Van Halen, you know, just kind of seems like depends on who you believe. And they end up settling with a guy named Vinnie Vincent who helped them write some of the songs on uh, Creatures. Later, we fast forward a little bit. We find out that Eric was actually probably pretty insecure, like he was always worried about kind of the monkey on his back, always worried about being replaced um, and then, you know, he passed on. So that's unfortunate. And then Vinny, we found out, was pretty tough to work with. And uh, just kind of had to let him go fairly quickly after he joined. All that being said, they created some magic for a couple albums. And one of the albums was Lick It Up. And the song that we are going to spin from Lick It Up is actually written by Paul Stanley and Vinny Vincent. It is not a song you ever hear played anywhere. And we like the deeper cuts. So the song we're going to spin is called Gimme More. What do you think about that song? Oh, I love it. I love Lick It Up. It's a good record. 
I love. You know what else I love, uh, Sonny? I love having my own historian as part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> See what I did there? See yeah, what I just I saw did? It. Yeah, that's I fantastic, that. that's cool. isn't it? That's awesome. I, I like you know it's straight ahead energetic song, right? Uh, Eric does well, obviously, because it's an energetic song, and then Vinny was tamed but allowed to be a little bit of himself and uh a tame Vinny honestly is probably a better Vinny yeah yeah I mean you know in a lot of ways and and I've said this Kiss would I almost think Kiss would prosper so much more if Vinny was just a writer with them if they just co-wrote with Vinny and Vinny wasn't in the band because I mean Vinny's guitar playing really doesn't fit that band it never has in my opinion it's never really fit that band um but you know the songs that they've recorded uh the the stuff that he's written um on uh, lick it up and and stuff he's done on creatures and then came back and did some of the stuff on on revenge but you know he's he's a good writer obviously yeah and i think you know uh night ranger probably felt a little bit of this we know white snake felt a little bit of this and kiss felt a little bit of it is 70s seemed to be about field guitar players where the 80s were all about the shredders yep right so everybody's trying to fit a shredder into their mix Otherwise, they're worried that these other shredder bands are going to pass them by. Yeah. So. so. Yeah. Well, hey, it comes to this point, and for this, we'd like to call on the beautiful and sexy Samantha. Tell our listeners a little bit more information about our fine, fine podcast. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K dot com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. Thank you. Thank you so much. Everything she said. Um, hey, get out there and and subscribe to our podcast. You should be able to get that at Google Play and iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn and just about anywhere you can download a podcast. You should be able to get our podcast or you can just go up to growinguprock.com just like she said and listen to it on the website there. Uh, we got media players streaming the podcast as we speak so go listen to past episodes or to current episodes uh whatever you feel what do you think there sonny i think uh this topic was awesome i love that we got to talk about replacement players some of our faves obviously we could have done five episodes on this stuff but we tried to stay away from some of the big names and I think someday when we talk about David Lee Roth and Sammy Hagar, we might end up with our biggest argument ever. So <laughs> we'll figure out that day when it comes. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. I mean, you know, we had big big names in the episode, but we had a few lesser known names. And uh, it's just like you said, we could do a whole series on this where there are several episodes where you talk about it. You know, we had kind of 
limitations and rules on on who we want it to consider a replacement player and uh, all that kind of stuff. But um, you know, it's fun fun conversation, and uh, we'll we'll see what's going on next. Who knows what next episode's going to bring? But I'll tell you what I do like to encourage. I do like to encourage people to go to our Facebook website or our Facebook page or our website and tell us your story. Leave us comments. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, what we're doing great, what we're doing shitty. Um, Any constructive criticism is good criticism, in my opinion. Only helps us get better. Uh, We know we're not going to please all the people all the time, so uh, it is what it is. But, hey... Uh, tell us your story. Everybody's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. And if you go and you share your story on our webpage, uh, then we may just get a hold of you and have you on the show. Um, and if you don't want to be on the show because you're afraid of microphones and afraid and don't like the way your voice sounds and whatever the case may be, hey, maybe we'll just use your story. And um, put put it to music, as I like to say. Uh, we'll bring in the soundtrack, you bring the story, and we'll marry the two together. How's that sound? What do you think about that, Sonny? I think that's awesome. I would love to hear stories from our fans out there, and then you know we can we can talk about anything all day. So uh, all we got to do is just know what the story is. Exactly. That's what this show is all about. The show wants to get the listeners involved. Everybody's got the stories, right? We've all got different stories that center around that first album that we heard or the first rock record we bought or the first concert we went to or the fact that we ran into Sammy Hagar down at the Five and Dive and buying condoms. Who knows? Who knows what kind of brushes with greatness are out there, Sonny? <laughs> nice. I mean, for God's sakes. <laughs> I ran into him at the bar in Cabo San Lucas. I don't know about buying condoms. Yeah, right. <laughs> See, there's a brush with greatness we didn't know about. You ran into him at Cabo Wabo, and he had a packet of condoms in his pocket. <laughs> oh, God. That was David Lee Roth. Who are we kidding? Uh, so, anyway, that's that's all good stuff. But, uh, hey, it's getting late, and it's time to let these fine folks move on about their lives. Hopefully we brought a little bit of uh, smiles and a little bit of fun and music to these people's lives. So, as we like to always say, get out there and support live and recorded rock and roll music. If you're a, a downloader, go download it. If you're a streamer, go stream it. And if you're a purchaser, go purchase it. Uh, but any way you can, just support uh, support rock and roll music. Um, we need to keep it alive. Keep it going forever. And teach your kids about uh, uh, these good bands and not this electronic music crap. Right? <laughs> Not this electronic music crap. That's funny. <laughs> I just wanted to say, guys, thanks for giving us a chance. Thanks for listening. We got several episodes out there, and uh, we've had tons of listens. So just appreciate the support, and um, thank you for everything. Sonny's going to pull out his phone on this episode, and he's going to do the shuffle dance, the shuffle, rattle, and roll. 
Um, and so until next week, this is Stephen Michael saying later, Gator, to all you folks. See you later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.